0: Well, it's really good to be with you. We are doing something. We've been in the book of Galatians, and in the book of Galatians, we've been taking several verses every week, looking at this, and we've been through Galatians 1, Galatians 2. But today, we want to linger really on one verse. You could call this one of the bedrock verses of the entire Word of God, one of the foundational passages through which everything rests, and it's Galatians 2.20. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And we are going to just give time to this passage. And may God just fill every heart here with a sense of, of his voice and spirit as we look at this. As we look into this, we are going to see four great truths that are going to come to us that are a part of every Christian's life. That God wants us just to embrace and to hold onto by faith regardless of what happens. Truth number one, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ has died for me. Truth number one, Christ gave His life for me. I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was on the cross, I died. And it is no longer I who live. I'm not alive anymore. Sometimes for Christians, this gets confusing. Well, I'm still living. I go to work. I have a job. I have conflict at home. I have conflict at every but Paul says, "I no, it is I no longer I who live. It isn't me anymore." And sometimes this looks like a conflict or it just doesn't make sense, but you'll get it as we go further. I, I, I praise God that he helps us all to get this, but Christ lives in me. Here we see a great truth of identification with Jesus. Not only do we see that Jesus was our substitute, he took our sin at the cross. He gave his life where we should have went. He died so we could live. But with this, we also see identification, that we as God's children become linked together together in Christ as Christians and this is very important many times as Christians we can live many years and not see this we can live our life and say I know Jesus died for me I know he gave his life I know he rose again but identification points to something deeper that we connect with jesus and as we look at this it continues to unfold the life which i now live in the flesh i'm still alive is what paul is saying i didn't die but it's not me living but now i live but now i live i still live in this body and we begin to see something else called transformation i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me now, when I live today, I live by faith, not by sight, not by flesh. You see, it at, at Galatia, they were lost in flesh living. And this is what got them off a of track. And here he says, I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Really, we could maybe summarize it like this. As I was... I am no longer. And I believe I could get a lot of amens from this church. One time I lived by the flesh. One time I tried to do it myself. One time I thought I had the answers. But here, Paul is just simply saying, No, today, as I see Jesus as my substitute, as I am identified with Jesus at the cross, I'm not just a gazer, I'm not just a spectator. I am a participant. I have a transformed life in Christ. Now that's big. I've, I've said a lot right there. And many of you know this for many years. But I will say this for all of us that I, even as a young Christian, I could understand substitution. And I can remember at 24 years old, it hit me that there was more than simply substitution in Christ the life of a child of God. And I begin to see the identification with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What Jesus does is he just keeps saying, come come closer. And you know what happens when we become Christians? Say, Lord, it's, it's a little bit like this. You know, I, I love you as my Savior. I don't want to go to hell. That's how it was with me. But you know, I don't care if you sit in the last chair over here. And it kind of starts that way. We hold Jesus out like this. And what Paul is driving at here is a truth that that is so important is Jesus comes closer and closer and closer to us. It creates, if we hold him over there, we have an identity crisis. We're looking at that identity crisis. But as I was, I am no longer was Paul shouting from the housetop. I'm going to go back. I'm going to take you about 7,000 miles for just a moment to a place called Yangon, Myanmar. And there you'll see the pagoda that rises up out of Yangon. Now, Yangon and Rangoon are the same place. Myanmar and Burma are the same place. What changes in the names is when a different, form, different ruling government takes over. So sometimes someone says, I don't know what, what Yangon is, but I know Burma. And as you look there, that is one of the great wonders of the Buddha faith. You'll find the pagoda in a few different places. But this one may be one of the greatest of all, the gold that just glistens and glows. And it is a center. It's like the apex of faith for the Buddha people. There's over, it's one of the fastest growing religions in the world, over 500 million. And in Yangon and in Myanmar, there are over 60 million uh, people and of those only 3%, it's no one that would even believe in Jesus. You've got 100 tribes. You've got only four or five tribes that even know who Jesus really is. It's a place that Jesus has put us and called us to go different times and teach the word. But when you're there and you're looking, something happens. The beauty of this, one of my friends took me to one of these the first time. He said, and my wife and he says we're gonna stay for one. We're gonna stay here one hour. And about 15 minutes in, I said, I don't need this anymore. I can go. I see mothers bringing their children to an altar and offering the children. I look in the eyes, and the Buddha faith looks outwardly good, but inside there's great fear. You look further, and you begin to see this. It darkens even with all that light. It just keeps getting darker because statues and idols and merits, and reincarnation has no living God. And what happens is as beautiful as you can make it, it just keeps getting dimmer. And finally, even the greatest spectacle of, of, that we, we have for you, there it is at night with the fireworks going up and the pagoda. And yet, when you get there as a Christian, it just isn't there. You're not connected now, I give you this because I'm liking this for just a moment. That is a foundation. If you're a Buddha, you'd love to get to, you'd love to get there. Not all can. They're very poor. Matter of fact, it's an amazing contrast how close poverty exists to that beauty. Just five minutes away, and they're living in the streets with open sewers and, and places like this. But one of the things that is so important as we look at this verse, it's easy to say it's a classical verse, obviously. I've read it. I've preached on it. I've studied it. I've heard messages on it. But we forget it is foundational. It's like the base through which Christianity rests. It's like a rock that Christians stand on. It's that which you go back to. But the difference is The longer you're a Christian, the more you look at this passage and let God speak to you, the more beautiful it becomes. It begins to open up and you begin to see that, see, Jesus is not just an angry God or an angry Jesus. He's a loving Jesus. You see him moving towards you. You see him saying, no, I really care. Come in. And out of this, God begins to do amazing things. What happened in this whole thing called the new birth i've had so many people come to me after they become a christian they said you know john i don't know what happened it's different a lot of my friends don't want to be with me i don't know how whether i want to go to that place anymore because inside something is different When you become a child of god you aren't the same person anymore you can't go to the same place anymore you can't be that same person anymore and when paul gets here he says i have been crucified with christ and what he's saying is i see christ i see the cross but it's more than a cross it's more than just a one act of jesus he says when i see this i see myself as there too You see, sometimes we we stop short of that. We want to see Jesus over here, but Jesus says, I want to see you there too. I want to see you there just like me. And this is where Paul was. He says, he died for me, yes, but I also died with him. Now this is something big as you think about it. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I died at the cross with him and there it is through which life begins to flow it's a very entry into the identification with jesus it's not about a set of ethics and morals and codes and what church you're in it's about a relationship with a living god that 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 means so much to him but Paul saw it and he began to teach this. And I want us to get it in light of the context for those of you that have been here during the teachings through the book of Galatians. is Galatians got off track, they got really off track. They turned to legalistic manners. They, they departed faithful uh, following uh, Jesus. But with that, something happened at Galatia. And that is, they had lost the heartbeat of God and his power through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his working within them. And this is why Paul stops right here. Let's look at this, he says together. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's no longer I who live. And Paul says, oh, you see, Paul, but it's not me. And this gets kind of hard. You say, you got to be kidding. What are you talking about? It's still you. You're preaching. But there's something that is different as a child of God as we begin to embrace the identity as a child of God of Jesus. You know, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, it was they were God's followers. They were Jesus people. They loved Jesus with their whole heart. Everywhere they went, people said, "That's the children of God. Look at them." But it's even more than that. It is an inward connection with jesus that goes beyond the altar, that goes beyond the words we use the actions that we others see it is a worship it is a fellowship a communion an adoration with jesus and when paul is writing that he has been crucified with christ i want us to read with me a couple of passages in romans as we think of this substitution what really happened well, one thing we know happened is Jesus died instead of me. I should have been the guy on the cross. There's a song that says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have been, been, died in the cross in disgrace. And Jesus took my place. Poem after poem, message after message has been written. But Jesus died for me. Paul in Romans, and Romans is kind of a big Galatians. Maybe that's a, We were talking the other day, Pastor Josh and I, uh, Galatians kind of like a Roman's light but Romans breaks this truth down in a powerful and mighty way and it touches so many areas but in Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 let's look at this truth of substitution and then we will look at the truth of identification for while we were still helpless notice how bad off we were we were helpless At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love the fullness of time. We'll we'll see this in Galatians 3 and 3, that God sent His Son. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Here it is again. He was our substitute. He went to the cross, he took the load, he said, I'll die on their behalf. But if you notice with me in this passage, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, Christ died with me, I died with him, but no longer am I living, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And here we see the identification as a child of God. Christ in me. I believe Paul wrote to the Colossians and just wrote and wrote, and he says, the real answer is Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. If you have your Bibles, just flip another page and you'll see this again. This truth of Christ in me, but now I am in Him. This is one thing that water baptism portrays. You know, we have a place over here for baptism because baptism portrays the identification of a believer with Jesus we're not just him over there it's us with him him in us and with him in us and us with him we are linked just like my two hands going together and as Christians we're a little bit like this we kind of start here and we're not sure if we want to get there but the longer we look at the word we start coming together in Jesus, and we become linked together as one in Jesus. And this is what makes fellowship with the saints. When you have a brother and sister that's linked like this, and they have fellowship over here, each other, it just goes whap. I've noticed that at times, it just goes wham! They've got fellowship. They are linked together in Jesus, Romans 6, 3-5, I chose this because of the identification when Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised, from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now you see something else he's beginning to speak of. We have seen substitution, we have seen identification, and we're gonna begin to see transformation or glorification. Out of identification comes glorification, and Jesus begins to work in powerful ways. Many years ago, I I read a story of a pastor in Ohio. His name is Richard Fairbanks, and I believe he lived in the mid-1800s. And he was very active in Ohio, the state of Ohio, but he had a desire to go down to New Orleans, and to observe a slave auction that in that, those days, the nation was bitterly divided, and I pray God that we keep coming back together as brothers and sisters, as a nation even. We're, we should never. The, the, the place for segregation is not in the Church of Jesus for sure. It just isn't. But Richard went there, and he observed this auction. And what happened in that auction is he, was, as he was sitting there and, and watching, he did not realize. he just listened to, listened to the cries. He saw families separated, children separated. When the day was over, the last person who was going to be sold was a, a coveted woman's slave. And Richard reached out and raised his hand, and he bid for that woman, and he paid 3,000 American dollars, That, a quick calculation, I tell you, was about 50,000 today. And the group was just shocked. And what had happened is Richard had came in observation and joined in participation. What he saw had connected his heart to the point that he made a great offering. But what she did not know was that he was moved in a way that he did not see or she did not see and what he did is he took the papers of ownership and as she walked off of the stand, he gave them to her. And he says, I, c- I live in Ohio and I saw all of this and I heard all this and all I can do is give you this document because I want to set you free completely. It's yours. You're a free woman. And she had prepared later by record that she would go after her master immediately, and she had been cursing him. And, and Richard walked away. He had been brought in to something he never expected he would get in. And she looked at the document before her, and she read it. And as she read this document, she realized that she had been set free by someone that could do it. And she turned and ran to him who was leaving the entire place. It's an amazing story, really. And she said, she said, Richard, if I could, I'd like to serve you the rest of my life. You know, when we look at this truth that is so, so profound and so deep in the word of God and So rich. We we had no idea where the Lord would take us, did we? As a Christian, as we began this Christian life, we did not know where he would take us, how he would use us, the place he would call us to go. But what he does is he brings us into the identification with him, sets us free, purchases us, and then just... We turn and we look and say, Lord, what do I do now? And I believe this was true in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I think it's, it's true in many of our lives in many ways that we, are, we realize all of a sudden, have you ever had this like with me and, and you get this, uh-oh, what's going on inside me? Have you ever had this one? Okay, I had this one one time. Uh, best friend in Washington Church was in. I all of a sudden I'd been up in the mountains doing some backpack work heavily, and all of a sudden I had this real weird inner pain. And I haven't had many, many illnesses in my life, really. Uh, don't don't deserve it. It's God's grace. But out of that whole thing, I was on my what my my best friend was a doctor, I was on my way to see him. And I was going, I was already I was already planning the funeral. Have you ever done that well, memorial? I. <laughs> I knew which one of my friend pastors was going to have the message. and what we, I was already at the chapter and everything. And I got there to the, the, the doctor. And it was kind of interesting because he always, uh, we were very close. I, I literally spent three and a half hours listening to him. And then he just said, oh, it's real simple what you've got. You've just got an inner groin strain. And you're going to have to take care of yourself. But in our life in the spirit things begin to happen and we don't quite understand it. We don't quite get it. How come I can't, just a real one for me, I was in business my whole life, in many kinds of businesses. And I would go to dinners with all the guys and knew them all. But I just didn't feel very good about staying there very long. I kind of learned when guys left the, the dinner table and they went over here to the, the, uh, the they go over here and then they, if not careful, end up the club. And I'm just not there. I couldn't go there anymore because in me was something working differently as a child of God the Holy Spirit came in sometimes as a Christian you can be you've been there with me you'll be at some place as a child of God and when you are identified with Christ I think sometimes as long as you still your substitute it's it's kind of verbal stuff but when you become identified all of a sudden you just feel really alone it just catches you. I wonder. Wow, it's lonely here. I know all these people, but you feel really alone. The Lord is coming in. He's there.'s some truths that Paul is saying here. He says, "I'm a dead man. I can't do the things I did. I can't go the places I went. I can't be the person I was, because in Jesus I'm new." I'm a new creation, a new creature, a new focus, and something inside me is different. Oh, I think so often Christians have, we Christians have struggled. We've stood on the edge and we thought, well, I wonder how far I could go over there. And, you know, I remember uh, the story of this guy that was trained to find a stagecoach driver years ago to drive his horse carriage. And he interviewed the first guy and he said, Sir, he says, if you hire me, I am good enough to run within one foot of any ledge you ever have with your stagecoach. And another gentleman came in and he said, If you'll hire me, I can get six inches within that that, that edge. And I'm that good. And the last guy got ready and he says, Sir. I can't tell you how close I can get the edge. All I'll tell you is this. I'll do the best I can to stay as far away from that edge as I can. (laughs) And he was tired. There's a place as a Christian that it's different. And this is where Paul is, he's driving at this here. He says there's a transformation starts inside us, but it moves outside us. It starts inward, something inside Sometimes it's a struggle. In in chapter 7 of Romans is a key place through which there's a flesh and spirit struggle. Flesh, spirit. I want to do, I can't do. I don't want to do, I do. And he's speaking about this tremendous conflict that wells up in the spiritual man. And we don't know what to do with it. But Paul begins to speak, and he's speaking about it here, but he also tells us, what happens on the other side of that and i love this i think in many ways he might have been saying church of galatia you're not where the holy spirit wants to see you yet you're living on the outside you got the stuff of religion but inside your heart has not connected to the king of kings and lord of lords like it should many times many christians are there we've seen that you've seen that i've been there you have too But notice what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in me, the power of God in me. It's not me, it's Jesus in me. It's not my church, it's not my connections, it's not my job, it's Christ in me. And now we, we, Paul begins to unpack this great truth of transformation. You know, when we look like a substitution, it's all right here. It really is. Everything we're speaking about today is right between these two ears. Matter of fact, most Christian battles are won or lost right here. They're not, they're not won over there. Matter of fact, I share this the first. Someone here told me yesterday or the day before, some, some of those stories you tell get us kind of nervous. Well, I didn't think I'd tell this one, but... Sometimes on Saturday afternoon, I'll take just a gentle drive in a motorcycle I have. And I'll just think about the word and drive around. And yesterday afternoon, I had went over uh, just to the east of us, kind of gently exploring some area, just exploring it. And I got ready to turn back out on the road, and I saw there, there were three lanes. Two were packed with traffic. The one next to me was wide open. I don't know why. I thought, wow, what a gift. I'll just take that one. And I took off. And all of a sudden, within five seconds, I heard a horn just going. I had a helmet on. I wear a helmet. I just for your information, I get a lot of prayers from my wife Deb when I ride the bike. (laughs) I I have always known that. And God is just there. But all of a sudden, this gentleman was just right behind me, shaking his fist. I was probably going 45, and he had this big Chevy truck, and it was probably about five feet off of me. And all of a sudden, your first thought is, get out and say, what in the world are you doing here, you jerk? That's really kind of the first. But I started thinking, you know, God, give me grace, give me space, give me time. I make a right. He makes a right. I make a left. He makes a left. And now it's just him and I in a two-lane road. And he's right there honking for all, he's, all, all he can do. And I'm praying, God, this, this is only you. This thing could escalate so quickly. And I just pray by God's grace, and I don't know where you're going to put this at, but I know I could take this adventure bike and go out through the desert, maybe leaving, but I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I just stopped at the next stoplight. And it turned into two Two lanes. So I pulled over in this lane and thought, you know, I didn't do a lot of calculation. I thought, God, this is in your hands. He turned out, his, rolled down his window and started yelling at me, you know, swearing. And I just told him I'm very sorry. I said, all I know is when I turned, I, did, I saw no cars. I could see no cars in that lane at all, but I am very sorry. And he kept swearing. And I said, you know, if you want, I'll go across the light and... Just get out and we can talk a while. And he sat, he sat and then he just peeled out, made a left and he headed down the Pleasant Valley Parkway. But you know, God asks us to turn to him and let him live through us in our responses. Sometimes it's more about responses than what we did. Oftentimes we think, this is what I'll do. No, God wants a biblical response. And what he wants is our a godly christ-centered response that declares he's in me he is in me it's not me it's him and it's it's only jesus you know later i just kind of like wow it's amazing how god can do it we we can't do it but i noticed with paul here uh, it's not just a just not a simple statement but no, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul's saying, now I live a transformed life because I'm looking to Jesus. See, the difference is faith. I live by faith in the Son of God. That difference is faith every time fear, faith, faith, unbelief, faith, reaction. Faith, my way, or his way, every time. And Paul is just simply saying, I've been crucified, I've been identified with Jesus, he lives within me, there's a transformed life, and because of that, I live by faith in Jesus. And it's not me, it's him in me. Have you ever been there where all of a sudden God just... This was a simple illustration, but God just orchestrated the events, and you go, Wow, it's over. That was God. That wasn't us. That was God. We're not that smart. We're not that clever. It's God in us, and this is what Paul was driving at Christ in us, that very hope of glory. Romans chapter 8, we're thinking about transformation. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. There is therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. I love that. Bam, he's saying no condemnation. When you see that substitutionary work of Jesus, claim it. Don't let go of it. Don't let anyone put condemnation in your heart. God, I may not feel it today, but I'm going to believe it today. I may not feel good today, but I'm going to believe by faith. For those who are in Christ Jesus, but this is where it becomes beautiful. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you know what Galatians have been dealing with? The law of sin and death. They got caught in Satan's bait. He threw the trap out. They bit the bait. And here, the apostles simply simply saying, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has set me free. Now, you see the law that had been happening in Galatia? it was a law of death. It was a law of 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 ordinances. It was a law of flesh. And Paul here, and if you want a really interesting study this week, take the book of Romans 8 and it could be a, maybe you'll do this with me. And if you want to text me to challenge me here, just take this this chapter and keep reading it. And how many times you'll see Paul saying I have been set free through the law of sin in Christ Jesus, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is, I'm set free because of Jesus. And this isn't about circumstances. It's not about who's president. It's not about, did my guy or my gal win? It isn't, is my church right or their church right? It's about the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free. And when we're free, the word of God says, if you are free, you're free indeed. You are set free through Jesus. And here's You know what? I want I want to show you some pictures up here of a dear place that we've ministered many times in the Philippines. Does anyone has anyone ever rode one of those things before? Does anyone have any idea what they're called? It's just like a little Honda 50 motorcycle in there for you you that know. And, and it's called a tuk-tuk. You get in the Philippines and, and God has placed us into an area of Davos City and, and Tagum City of a city of a million and five million. We've done a lot of ministry through that area. We're praying for how to respond back right now because we have not been in there for a couple of years and they have some pretty amazing needs. But see the guy here? Uh, he was my tuk-tuk driver. God... Uh, put us together and all of a sudden I had a gap of a few hours in teaching and I went over to him and I said come on over I I had a, his phone number and he came over and I said here's a dollar take me where you want me to go in the city and he says where do you want to go I'm not sure where you want to go and I said well, take me to the poorest of the poor and he looked at me that guy and he says sir that's where I live are you sure you want to see that and I said that's what Jesus would want to see and a lot of times I'll pray in ministry in places like that that I can see the underside of the need, uh, the other side of the need, not just the frivolity of a bunch of people slapping the back. And Dev and I go over there. I went the first day and I heard singing. And it just caught me that in the middle of that deep poverty, no restrooms, no, nothing co- like we know, was a group of, of, of young people there. And I have no idea where they got the guitar. And they were just praising God. And out of the depths of great poverty was the transformation, transforming glorification of Jesus. There's something else right there in that area. And I've noticed there's a lot of places where God has placed us in third world countries. You see those coconuts above there? God has an amazing way of taking beautiful banana plants and coconuts and plopping them right over the top of these poor people. And you get looking at their bananas. In the Philippines, they're only about this long. And they're the greatest. Some of you, if you've ever been around, they're the greatest tasting bananas. But those people just believe they're rich. And the next day, I got my wife, and I told that tuk-tuk driver, take us back here again. So there's one more picture I think I have here. And Deb and I just went back the next day and just hung around, those people who in, from the outward side we think they have nothing to give, but because of their transformed lives through Jesus Christ, they have everything to give. They're rich. Many times I've left teaching places like that, probably hundreds, and scratched my head and said, God, who taught who? Because they have learned this, this beautiful truth that when. I'm not only, he's not only my substitute, but I'm identified with Jesus and I'm also changed with Jesus. And now the very life of Jesus is flowing through and in me to glorify the Lord in every way in which he would want me to. You know, the the disciples and apostles were no different than this. Do you ever wonder what they'd be like if you plopped them down in this church? They would be just a bunch of guys that got in trouble. They would be. You look about, they, they argued about who's going to be the greatest and they would sc- scrap and who's going to sit in the right hand of the Father. This is a bunch of people that Jesus Christ crawled and said, follow me. And they left it all and followed him and they found the power of a transformed life. But there's a key to a transformed life. A transformed life is an exchange life. You've got to give up your life for his life. You've got to surrender your heart for his heart. You gotta say, Lord, this one doesn't work, but I believe by faith yours will, and we'll see the substitution. He'll bring us closer to the and through identification. Acts four and thirteen. Here's a verse I've loved this verse over the years, where it says, "As they observed the confidence of Peter and John, these dudes that were out preaching, they understood they were uneducated and untrained men." they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You see what they saw in Peter and John? They saw Jesus. And when Paul is writing here and saying the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm living by faith in the Son of God, he's saying, when you see me, look carefully, because it's not me. It's Jesus in me. It's Jesus changing me. Jesus, who has changed me. Jesus, who makes the difference. And when that happens, you're a rich man or a rich woman. When God's life comes into our life on that level, and not only do we recognize Him as our substitute, our perfect substitute that gave a perfect sacrifice, but we see Him also as the one that not only died for us, but identified with us and ask us to join him in identity and through that as paul says this very life i now live i live in the in the faith of the one who loved me and gave himself for me there's a passage in Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, that is so beautiful. When you look at the other side of glorification, Paul was writing to the Colossi, the brothers at Colossia, and he says, brothers, I'm just calling you to look above, look over the top, look beyond. Is it okay to say that right now is a good time to really all of us be challenged to be there? Look up, look over, Paul wrote it like this: Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. You know, if Jesus walked in here right now, he said, "Jesus, got a question for you. What would you do in light of the elections?" You know what he'd say? Seek the things which are above. Just keep seeking the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Jesus, but did you know about my our family? The problem, and he would say. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Keep your mind up there. You see, that's the battle. It's, that's, that's the warfare we're involved in as, as Christians. It's a real living warfare. It happens every day. Every day we get up and we have the privilege to say, God, by your grace, I'm going to set my affections on things above and not down here. Matter of fact, God, I believe that God has designed this in our lives, that he lets all these down here things let us down. So we look up. Our eyes get down here, we don't know it. You'd probably come to me and say, brother, your eyes are down here. I said, no, I'm, no, no, you ought to know how much time I studied this week or did. No, no, get your eyes up here. And Paul in Colossians says, set your mind to things above, not the things of the earth. And here he grabs it. The very thing we're said, you have died. You don't want to go back there anymore. You've died. You have died, and your life is hid with Christ. Don't go back there. Oh, I think Jesus one time said it like this. No man who ever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's speaking about that backward look. If I only, if I wonder why he, she, they, whatever. You've died. You're a new person in Jesus. And when you're a new person, you're a resurrected person. And you cannot be transformed without being glorified. You cannot be changed. You cannot be identified with Jesus without the next process of being transformed with Jesus. Changed. Your affections are up there. Your heart is there. Your life is there. And this is where Paul was. He was driving at that that was so important that the church of Galatia would just say, we're going to hold on to it. We're not going to let this go. In church, I say that to all of us. There's a lot you got to let go in life. God's taken me to many places. He just said, lay it down, let it go. It can be grudges, it can be relationships, it can be possessions, it can be friendships, it can be images, it can be all this stuff. But God says, don't let this go. You're a new creature, your life has been changed. The interchange of the redeemed soul is so great. That it transforms every single thing we do or think and all of a sudden we're thinking differently we're looking out differently we have a different set of glasses now they're god's glasses they're not these things that i have to adjust every so often or like this morning i got here and i looked at them i said deb these things are really really smudgy and i've been wearing them like that and didn't even know it god's glasses are perfect I love that part of the word of God that we'll be able to see there'll be no p- p- suffering in heaven there would be no pain Everyth- everything will be new and God will wipe away every tear from every eye there'll be no sorrow there'll be more, more suffering it'll be new no more COVID you know no more elections you know why because we already got the king and he's here today right here he is in this room. He's in our hearts. All he wants is us acknowledging him. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's our life. He's everything. And he just asks us to acknowledge him. Paul ends this writing. He says, I don't do not nullify the grace of God. I do not make the grace of God of, of no effect. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died died needlessly. And I love to see our brother here saying, I treasure the grace of God. I treasure the work of Christ. I treasure the power of God as he's in me. And because of this, I don't have to go back to that law. I don't have to suffer an identity crisis. I don't have to wonder who I am because in Jesus, I'm a child of the King and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you a better day coming. There it is. There's going to be a new, new heaven. There's going to be a new Jerusalem that's going to rise. And I walked not too long ago over there by the Dome of the Rock. And I stood there in the Mosque of Omer. And then I stood at the place we believe is Mount Moriah. And all it is is still rubble. But I will guarantee you when our heart is on Jesus and we're looking and setting our affections above and realizing we're a new creature in Christ Jesus, this in these times will get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. The closer you get to this, the brighter it's gonna shine. And the closer you get to heaven, the gates of heaven, I've wondered at times if God doesn't need just to adjust things in this life so our heart gets heavenward again. You know, it's not here. It never was here it is there and the Word of God says that guess who's gonna be the king Jesus will be the king but guess who gets to rule and reign with him for 1,000 years I love this Jude speaks of this we get to rule with Jesus 1,000 years in a perfect heavenly Jerusalem the Word of God says in Isaiah that living waters will flow out of that city It's going to be the lion will lie down at the lamb. There will be no war. The plowman will overtake the reaper. There will be no more weeds. That was my work most of my life was weeds. A career, I wouldn't have a job in this place because the curse is gone and the presence of Jesus is everywhere. That might be kind of dim. Many of you have never been there. It might look kind of fading out there right now. But the closer we get to the end, keep your eyes here get our eyes up on jesus look well to him he's coming again and we don't know when but it is going to be a glorious thing and transformation as we're speaking today will be realized in its entirety when we see the king face to face face to face and if i can encourage everyone here Keep living for Jesus. But remember, I'll go over this very simply again. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Jesus is my substitute. That's one thing not to let go. God's got some things in every life to let go here, but that's one you don't let go. The second, second is Christ lives in me. Jesus, I identify with Jesus inside. Don't let go of that and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god not only does he live do, does he identify with me but he changes me and now i look up it's faith now this whole walk is faith really we get in we get in the problem because we try to grab sight and pull it in and make it work and it doesn't work We try to figure something out and it doesn't work. And God finally shows us and says, if you walk by faith, I will bless you. And Paul, our dear brother Paul, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because of that, the grace of God is effectual and powerful. And I want to encourage us here as we leave this place and we conclude our worship time here, don't let anyone take that from your heart. Not only believe it for yourself, but believe it for your family, your children, your neighbors. Believe it for the people next door. Believe it for the people that really need to come to this church or a church because they need Jesus too. Believe it because Jesus lives and don't let go of it because he's coming again. God bless you all. If anyone here is at a place that you don't know, you don't know, I, I just pray with me as I come before the Holy Spirit that God could speak to you. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, Gracious Father, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I want to pray for the person that has never seen Jesus as their substitute, that they today would see you as that perfect substitute for their sin. As you took their sin, our sin, my sin in your body at the cross, and you gave your life, I see you, Jesus, there. Lord, I pray for those who may be stiff-arming you, and I've been there at times. I just didn't want to be identified with you. Peter was there. J- James, our brother James, was there. Godly men through the ages just didn't want to be identified. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would just, just touch our hearts, that we would choose to be your child just never ashamed of it wherever you take us whatever you want us to do that your work will be done and lord i i pray also that your glorification process will just keep working through us and in us to your glory you're coming again jesus this world is not our home we're just passing through But at the same time, Jesus, we pray that the glory of your presence will fill the house that we dwell in, our spiritual house, our natural houses, and may you receive all praise and honor and glory. But Lord, if anyone here is is lingering, oh, let it be at this time that they would surrender to you to be their great substitute and advocate and intercessor, and high priest, and friend, and lover, until you come again, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen.